Hello, welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. My name is Stephen, talking weirdly robotically for some reason. And my name is Nisha, not talking robotically because I haven't picked up on the cues. Oh, excellent. So I believe we have an interesting topic today, Stephen. So, yeah, me and Nisha, we have had an awful lot of conversations Mm -hmm. just working here in our day-to-day about death and death lore and things connected to death. And it's a very rich and varied topic, so I decided why not have it in a podcast in the middle of spring. Perfect time. Look, death will come for us all. It does not know seasons. It does not know age. It will come. It will drag us kicking and screaming whether we like it or not. Well, like many death (coughs) deities and figures throughout the world are also associated with fertility. Yeah. So, like, you can't really have one without the other. They're all essentially gods of compost. Basically, yes. Correct <laughs> put it. <laughs> because, like, you basically get that idea, for me, especially when you look back further and further, mm-hmm. and particularly with the Irish examples, the cyclical nature of things. Mm-hmm. The, that death leads naturally to rebirth. Not even necessarily rebirth. Not necessarily new rebirth. Birth. Exactly, but it's, it's all in a cycle. Yeah. Like that old phrase of, like, for every soul that gets extinguished, another one lights up. It's... Mm-hmm. There's a, it's a continuous cycle of events. Even if that person who has died doesn't get to come back, it's seen as all part of a natural process. Yeah, we may be getting ahead of ourselves tiny just bit, a tiny, tiny bit. bit. We tiny have jumped bit, straight bit. into the topic. Oh, heavy. We usually deal with a few questions first. Right. So why don't we? What questions do we have at the moment? Well, we actually had some specifics. Uh, will we go for the the big one first, or will we go for some of the smaller ones? Let's go for some small ones. Grant. So um, I've been I've been looking forward to doing this one. Who would you bet on? The seventh son of a seventh son or the youngest of three daughters? <laughs> well, let's see. As far as I know, Michael Collins <laughs> was the seventh son of a seventh son. And we all know how his <laughs> So possibly the youngest of three daughters. Now, now, I had a feeling that you were going to say that. And I have been contemplating this question. I'm, I'm very firmly sat, uh, siding with the seventh son of a seventh son. Yeah. And here's my reason why. The youngest of the three daughters is usually just a bit better than them. She's got a bit of cop, a bit of smarts. It's the assistant that comes in. And not even that. Yeah. She's she often has a magical assistant. Sometimes yeah. the seventh son of a seventh son also has a magical That's assistant. That's true. The difference is, to me, the third daughter of three, she actually knows what she's doing. She's got some agency for uh-huh. once. She's able to navigate the world. The seventh son is just blundering through existence. <laughs> and because he's magic, the world will just rearrange itself to make things work out for him. Did you know there's an, actually an animal equivalent of seventh son? No. The seventh pup of an otter is supposed to be a dovercoop. Oh, that's fantastic. Is that why they're called king otters then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's part of it. That's fantastic. Uh, for those who don't know what the dovercoop is, look them up. They're amazing. They're you may need help spelling that. <laughs> Will we give it a... I'll let the gale go. D-O-B-H-A-R-C-H-U fada. And I am far from a gale go. <laughs> Such a beautiful language. <laughs> Irish sounds wonderful. Look it does. <laughs> Only because they anglicised it. I know. We have the Shavu, the death of the Shavu. 
800 <sighs> years of the theft of the Shevu. <laughs> feel we've gotten off topic. But yeah, I would support the seventh son of the seventh son, not because of his own personal agency, but because the world will rearrange itself, will fall on his knees before him because of patriarchy. So basically, basically... Patriarchy. Yeah. Is yeah. why I support Male privilege <laughs> is the power of the seventh son. Fantastic. Which I suppose makes sense because it's like concentrating male privilege. <laughs> it's distilled male privilege. <laughs> Oak matured male privilege. Right, and so I like how we got onto privilege without even being about five minutes in. <laughs> We're doing well. Uh, there's another question here that I like the sound of. If going on a road trip, which mythological f- or folklore characters would you want in the car with you? Ooh. Ooh. I have to say my very first one would be the Dagda. Well, naturally. <laughs> because... He's great, crack. So many reasons. He's great fun. He, he He's a musician. He's got a harp that can play itself. Yep. So that's your your road back music. in the back seat. Your crowding. and a cauldron of infinite food. Yeah, you've got all the road snacks you'll ever need. And as we mentioned, he can party. Yeah, he's absolutely. a nice guy. Absolutely. So who else do you think we'd need on there? Uh, you probably would want someone who can navigate. So maybe Brendan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, Brendan just kind of blundered around and only followed directions maybe. that he was given. <laughs> I was going to say maybe Mananon then, but actually, the more I read about him, I still remember fondly one of our old storytellers, Teresa, uh, mm-hmm. in, an- in another podcast, talking about how Mananon, as far as she was concerned, was one of the sound guys. Was, no. I would have agreed with you back then, but the more I learn. Yeah, so I don't think I want him anywhere near my car. Okay. I, I value the relationship I have with Lauren, and he likes to sleep with people's <laughs> wives and partners. That's very fair. Yeah. Um, ooh, who might be handy, though? See, with these ones... Ooh, actually. Miach. Mm-hmm. The son of mm-hmm. the impact. Just in case anything yeah, goes wrong. Yeah, the greatest healer that ever lived. Yeah, pretty handy. Even if we get into a horrible <laughs> car accident, as long as his brain isn't gone, then he can heal us all up and we'll be fine. So I'll stick him in the backseat yeah, as well. absolutely. Uh, anyone else? So the doctor, see the doctor. He's the good god. He just kind yeah. of, he's kind of got everything sorted. He's got music. We've got good company. We've got food. Yeah, we've got first aid. You don't really need anyone else. <gasps> that guy from the from the birth of Bran folktale edition. That when he chucks a rock, it becomes a wall. So <laughs> we can just have a house when we start to camp for the night. <laughs> I think we've got him yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. That's great. If we ever get tired of sleeping in the car. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> chuck a fucking load, couple of rocks all over the place. Up will come a house. We'll be happy. You know who I'd bring? Yeah. The Morrigan. I, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing, but why in particular? Anytime you run into trouble on the road. Yeah. That trouble is instantly over. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. In fairness, no one will mess with you if you've got the Morrigan inside <laughs> you. But an important question, are we taking her chariot then? Oh, maybe the road trip's in the chariot. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know the Morrigan's chariot, it is drawn by a one-legged horse impaled to the front that's bright red, the colour of blood, being re- led by a man who's also only got yeah, that's a common thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopping along while she's on the top, just 
whipping away, <laughs> driving on the poor one-legged horse. It's quite a sight to behold. I think we could fit ourselves the dag. The uh, can't even remember the guy's Mier. name. Yeah, and, and the other guy. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think he even has a name in it, does he? I don't think so. Nah. We'll call him Rocky Man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. That's a yeah. happy good party. That's, that seems like a good, yeah, yeah. very good road trip. Uh, though, oh, I noticed the little bit in brackets. Probably going to Kerry. If you're going to Kerry, you might invite Curie around. Maybe. Like he, local, local guide. But, okay. Ah. Pick a member from the Fianna to work in the museum. Conan McMorna already works here, so <laughs> I'm not sure um, who else would need. You see, Oshin would be too Yatesian. <laughs> um, <laughs> hit, the, hit the nail on the head as to why I don't particularly like Oshin. <laughs> He's basically Yates in ancient Ireland. <laughs> well, if you're if you're kind of opening it up a little bit I would mm-hmm. definitely say Bran or Skillon oh yeah because love dogs oh yeah 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 have dogs working here that would be perfect <laughs> I'd love that Emily would go crazy she really would she'd be so happy I think Bran and Skillon <laughs> two sentient giant wolf hands that, that would... used to be people <laughs> dogs are people too Steve humans fine <laughs> Bran Cystic. That one well and truly dealt with. Ah, uh, this one. What is the difference between fae and fairies? Hmm. Now, I have a way to, to to tackle that, but it's going to get very in-depth very quickly. Yeah. Basically, from my understanding of it, fae and fairies, it's their most basically just different names for yeah. the same creature over here and in, and it's in the English language the subtitle of the question is in Holland they're the same but not in English stories mm, they kind of are yeah um, in English stories there's a little bit of a disconnect about where yeah. the word is used yeah but they're the same basic thing I've also felt that there is that I don't like to use cross-contamination because it's a great thing that it happens. Cross-pollination. Cross-pollination, excellent. Yeah. Where you've got the kind of Germanic influences coming in with yeah. the Saxons, Angles and Jutes and meeting the indigenous which has also been heavily Romanized. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is good evidence especially for England that they've got very different conceptions of fairy creatures. Yes. So you might call one of them fae, you might call one of them elves, you might call one of them fairies. Mm. That's how I'd kind of like if you if you look at Nordic culture, some of them call them elves, some of them call them trolls. Yeah. It's all like they're all big umbrella terms for a bunch of different creatures, yeah. and it's just what culture uses what umbrella term. And I think that's the thing as well. Is like yeah. even over here, fairies is such a vast yeah. term. It can refer to pretty much everything mm-hmm. we have on the island, apart from one or two. Yeah, and also it can be very very specifically used. Mm-hmm. Like even if you just look at the stories. Sometimes they're tiny little things that don't have wings. Sometimes they're the size of a toddler. Sometimes they're human shaped. Sometimes they're bigger. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they look like us until you get the magic ointment on your eye and you see the horrible, disgusting gremlin things. Or look through a hagstone. Yeah. (laughs) So, fairies is a really big, large umbrella term. But what I'm going to do is do a bit of my head cannon. And for me, say the fairies in Ireland. 
there is good evidence to me from the early Irish literature that there definitely is a different conception of the Tua de Danon themselves, even after they fled below ground, and the people who live in the world of the Shi. Yeah. So to me, I've always felt that the Tua de Danon essentially became the king, the fairy kings and queens of the hills, or at least royalty, the 1% of the fairy population, and the rest of the fairies are kind of the they, guys. Yeah, they, the, the, the Tua de Danon ended up Colonizing the fairy world. Well, you know what they say about victims turning to abusers. <laughs> we came in, we colonized them. So they went down the food chain below Earth, colonized the people living down there. To be fair, we were basically the same people as them. We just got off and come back a bit later than they did. Colonizing ourselves. <laughs> This one big colonizing, <laughs> self-eating snake. <laughs> and, we've managed to hit anti- <laughs> and we've managed to hit anti-colonization rhetoric. Yeah. We're doing well. <laughs> Alright, should we tackle the big one and then move on to, yeah, to death? <laughs> so final the way you say it. Grand okay, go for it. Alright, so the big one. Why is three such an important number in stories? Ah why? Isn't it more important? <laughs> Three is just the best number in the world ever. It's really important. Like, it's not just Ireland. It's not just stories. Three, The rule of three is everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced m- most disciplines have a rule of three in some way. Same photography form. and videography. Photography, rule of thirds. Comedy, mm-hmm. rule of threes. Yep. Same, same, change. Laugh. Mm-hmm. It's a universal pattern you keep seeing popping up everywhere. I just uh, it's one should not ask why three is important (laughs) three is important why is it so important is better but you see it happening all the time in Irish mythology it's one of the most important numbers Mm -hmm. be it three itself three times three nine and three nines twenty seven you see that whenever they're setting off on their odyssey voyages and bad things go wrong when you don't obey the rule of three then there's um like three is a it's a number of emphasis yeah if if you want to show that a figure is embodying a certain trait and they have say a body part that has something to do with that trait and there's normally two of it <laughs> you give them three such as the dagda yeah and his association with fertility <laughs> and I may just leave it there yeah that's it <laughs> try and keep things PG won't somebody think of the children but you see it also in like um, eastern cultures the yeah. idea of the third eye yeah and being able to have like a higher degree of perception mm. a higher level of perception and there's also the fact that three is just a good kind of rhythmic device for storytelling it really is and I think that's one thing that I, w- I would really like to like, maybe write an article about it someday about mm-hmm. how important it is that a lot of our information from regarding all Irish folklore and mythology comes from storytellers mm-hmm. and storytellers we like to congratulate ourselves a little bit <laughs> and you can see that like when they keep like you can't deny that there is good evidence that storytellers were held in reverence in Irish society oh yeah but they're also the ones who are writing this stuff down. Yep. So obviously they're going to go, well, we're pretty important. We're actually the most important people <laughs> in the world ever. We're the best. 
Oh, you shouldn't mess with us, otherwise I'll satirise you and cause blisters to appear on your skin. So they're used to dealing with the rule of three. They're going yeah. to make it more important in the stories. And also, memory devices. Yeah. When you see, like, rhyming, alliteration, mm-hmm. and rules of threes, it's just ways to help you remember the story. And you made mm-hmm. a good point earlier. If you... It's a good way to extend the story. You want to repeat something happening. So, like, say in the story of Avertok, just to use an example, yeah. he rises from the grave three times before he's killed. Yeah. And you repeat the thing happening three times because it helps you extend the story, but anymore, and it gets boring and annoys the audience. Yeah. It's just the perfect number for repetition. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going a little way towards explaining three. Now, to be honest, just for... if. If the wonderful, wonderful question asker is actually listening to this podcast, hello. Hello. We don't know your name. We will get your address soon. But if you're wanting to learn more about numbers, especially in Irish mythology, I'd recommend reading The Celtic Heritage by the Reese Brothers. They were brothers, yes? White and yes. Yeah, good. Don't like to misgender them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Reese Brothers were fantastic. It was were it was done in six, 1964, mm-hmm. I believe. So, so 1960s anyway. Yeah, it's been out of date in some ways. But the section on numerology in Irish mythology is fascinating. I think that might be where I actually picked up the repetition thing. Yeah. It was years ago when I was reading that. I spread that a couple of months into working here. So it's one of the cornerstones (laughs) of my knowledge base. But like, you know the way... I know the stuff. I just forgotten where I yeah, found it from. Yeah, the first absolutely, episode. absolutely. But I just re- I'd recommend that for anyone interested in going any further into the mythology at all beyond just reading the stories. It's a great little introduction book. To me, once you've read that one, the modern scholarship is so much easier to yes. take apart. Because I remember jumping into a big, heavy academic collection for Melodish <laughs> when I joined. God, oh, terrified. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But again, if you want to look, look up more about numerology and Irish mythology, check out Celtic Heritage by the Reese Brothers. It should be on everyone's Lord and Master Amazon, and hopefully <laughs> some actual paid print bookshops as well. I actually found it very difficult finding the Voyage of St. Brendan there. Really? I tracked it down in the end, but it was hard. That's, that's a shame. That's such a great story. Yeah, I cut it down as much as I could. It still took me 20 minutes. <laughs> he made it all the way to America. What do you expect? Maybe. <laughs> he mostly sailed east. <laughs> as we all know, you sail east long enough. You will get to America. No wonder it took more than 20 minutes. You have to circumnavigate the globe. Oh yes, and, and there was the, the really big one at the very start, oh. which we actually that's going to lead us on. Okay, yeah, go to for it. The next bit. So, going to read it out now. I am writing because I have a question. I was hoping you could shine some light on. I recently read an article that said the oldest eclipse recorded in the world was carved in a stone at Newgrange. Hearing this made me curious if eclipses ever feature in Irish mythology. Or if there are any Tua de Danon associated with the sun and moon. Now, we're going to start with the easy part first. No solar deities. Stop seeing solar deities, guys. The, 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 the whole, okay. So there's an idea that Lou is associated with the sun, but that's all because of the spectre of syncretism. <laughs> 
And I can't, I'm, I shouldn't say the words I want to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say syncretism gets almost as bad a rep here as Yates does. Syncretism was this thing that the Romans and the Greeks started, mm-hmm. where whenever they encountered a new culture, they'd see the mythical fig- figures of that culture and go, oh yeah, that's Apollo. <laughs> that's what we call him. We have that too. That's Apollo. Yeah. The fact that that carries so much weight in modern academia is very annoying because it was very clearly just propaganda. It's also not helped by by the reverence that Greek mythology is held within the academic no, community. Absolutely not. Now, nothing wrong with it. I love Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, it's the one of the larger ones we have. So there's a good reason it's at the high the high position that it's in. Yeah. The problem is the lesser ones suffer. And I think yeah. Even when you're going to the Norse myths, trying to use Greek models to try and explain and understand the god, the Aesir, mm-hmm. you get quite muddled. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. to me. But to me, it's like going, well, say, keeping Scandinavia, trying to, trying to treat Norwegian and Swedish as the same language. Yeah. They're quite different, but really you can still understand each other while you're talking. Ireland, <laughs> Ireland is Finnish. <laughs> Trying to interpret interpret us is just... It's impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> it's not the same. And if you try to apply Greek models to Irish gods... It, it don't work. Even, it doesn't work. Even using the term gods in the Irish context is... Yeah, it... Problematic. It makes my brain twitch. <laughs> it's why I still say the possible gods of the pre-Christian <laughs> Irish people. Because it a lot of it depends on how you define a god, and a lot of it depends on... Find the two of the talent. Yep. It's a very messy thing. Um, I've I've enjoyed using the comparison to an excellent TV show, Avatar The Last Airbender. Ah, yes, 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 of course. Where, because in Avatar, for those that don't know, if you don't know, watch the show. It's excellent. But there's a spiritual world alongside the human world where all the spirit creatures live. Mm-hmm. And some of these creatures have incredible magical power. Some of them can control the weather, some of them control harvests, some of them can literally control the moon and the flow of the tides, but they're not necessarily seen as gods. No. And there's varying degrees of power. Some are incredibly weak, some are incredibly strong. And to me, that's more what the two of the Dan and Ireland. Yeah. They're spirits. They'd be treated more as like respected neighbours. Yeah. But just just finish up on the eclipses Mm. thing. Yes, there, we have one of the oh, oldest yes. records of an eclipse in Newgrange. And two things on that again. Newgrange, it's very old. It was built about 5,000 years ago. It's technically of a different culture to when most of our myths would have been written down. Mm-hmm. Eclipses do feature in the mythology a couple of times. There, as with most cultures, something strange like that happening in the sky is strange. But from my glancing around, I haven't seen anything specifically Irish going, yes, this is how we dealt with eclipses. Mm-hmm. And in terms of two of the Danon associated with the sun and moon, there definitely are. Anya, uh, who lived in Nakani in Limerick, was sometimes associated with the sun. She was, got some, she was two of the Danon associated with light, so could also be moonlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grania, obviously. Yep. Son Buck Grania, son of the sun. Also Grania hit Grania, another G-R-A-I-N, for those who speak Irish and can pronounce it better than I can. Another member of the two of the Danon, possible sister to Anya, so you could have a sun-moon pair there. 
But even then, they wouldn't be gods or to the dominant of the moon or of the sun. Just associated, associated with, with... They're associated with this phenomenon themselves, mm-hmm. if you get me. Yeah. But I think that's... Uh, enough of that. On to death! 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 Swift death. <laughs> and yes, when it comes to the two of the dominant and death, there's loads. Take it away. So the first one I think comes to mind for most yeah. people when you're talking about the two of the Danon and death would be the Morrigan. So she would honestly mostly have been associated with death on the battlefield. Yeah. A uh, little, very, very, very slightly remotely like Valkyries, but not really. Uh, more a bringer of death. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, she's she's not one of the passive ones just going, oh, yes, and I'll guide your soul to the next lap. No, 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 no. She's there probably screwing up your shit. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably sabotaging your army or straight up killing you. Yeah. 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 She liked her death. An awful lot. But again, as I said, more violent death. Yeah, violent battle. Death, death in battle, yeah. Uh, you, and again, we've talked in the past how Macha might not be part of the American yeah, yeah, or I, I kind of think I've always seen Macha as being more of an Ulster version of the Monarchy. Yeah, like yeah. just just a recategorization of her for Ulster. Yeah, I could definitely see that. The heads of the corpses in battle were seen as her crop. Yes, Maka's crop. So that that's what you need to know. <laughs> she would reap and sow severed heads from battle. That's her association I, with death. There. The Morrigan's laugh yeah. in battle, the double-voiced laugh. Yeah. People always described as being utterly terrifying. Yeah. Which of course it would. It would to me, that's what to me that's kind of what she represents. It's death in war and battle. Yes. And she's not like she's often claimed to be a war goddess. And people can kind of think of her like, say, go to Alton Terpratio of Rome. We're <laughs> going to do. Basically, she isn't going to show up at battle with a scythe or a sword like yeah. Ares or Athena. She is literally the terror of battle in mm-hmm. She is everything horrible that happens. One interpretation I have seen is that she was more uh, an embodiment of the defense of mm. the tribe the defense okay. of the people yeah. that she was the embodiment of their protection yeah and that she could sometimes just get really enthusiastic <laughs> about that <laughs> I'm going to defend so aggressively that I attack <laughs> like the, the same kind of thing happens with Macha she, yeah. she's very heavily associated with the defense of Ulster mm-hmm. but then the Ulster men crossed her sure <laughs> Don't cross goddess, guys. Don't, don't, cross. don't cross your protector. No. No, don't don't do things to your literal personification of the sovereignty of the land. Not wise. Well there there's another death figure who actually did cross a oh, representation yeah. of the sovereignty of the land. Do you want to start us on that? You mean my, my favourite? <laughs> ah. Don was the first to die. When the Irish people emigrated to Ireland from northern Spain, they came in a fleet of ships, landed off the coast of Kerry, and began travelling throughout the island. Along the way, they met three beautiful women on the tops of three hills. Fodla, Bamba, 
and Eru. Each one said that they would assist the conquering Gaels with conquering Ireland, provided that they would agree to name the island after them. Now, Don was the king of the Irish Gaels, the sons of Mill, and he was travelling with his brother, his prophet, his advisor, his druid, his poet, Amargan. Now, Amargan wisely agreed to name the island after all three goddesses, as did Don until the last. He refused to name, name the island after Eru, and she cursed him to never again set foot on the shore. Now, when they met with the two of the Danon, war was gentlemanly back then. They had rushed in. The two of the Danon were not prepared. So they were asked to retreat the distance of nine waves. They then began sailing back, and the two of the Danon raised up spells. A magic wind blasted the ships back, keeping them from approaching the shore. And it became apparent that one of them would have to go up to the mast of the ship and chant a counterspell, allowing them to land. But it was known that the person who went up to the mast would suffer a horrific disease. And if that disease was brought to Ireland, it would mean ruin for all the gales. And Don volunteered to climb up. He went up to the top of the mast, he chanted his spells back, and of course he was stricken by the terrible plague. They managed to sail, sail on and were about to land on the shore, but rather than bring Don to the shore and cause spread of the spread of plague and famine, they left him on an island, a rock called Bull Rock, and it became known as Chekdun, a house of Don. As they laid him down on that rock, his final dying words were, To my house, after death, you shall come. And... He is the god of the dead, and he's amazing. Because <laughs> he's fantastic. Because I love, I've been obsessed with Don for about four years now. I, I do really like him as a figure. He's so interesting because he he's not a good guy, but he's definitely not a bad guy. No, he's he's very morally grey, which is what you want from your death figures. Exactly. <laughs> like to me, doing good bit of good old comparative mythology I think he's very much so mirrored in uh, Osiris yes the first king the great pharaoh who ruled the living world but after his death became king in the underworld yes he's not the god of death he's not a psychopomp per se he's the king of the realm of the dead and going back even further to the Vedic tradition like Yama he was the first to die he showed the Irish people the way to die he taught humanity how to die so that they could move on to the next life. And it's, like, it's important in all mythologies, but I think it's you see it's mentioned so often in the Irish myths. Yeah. The first to do anything is really, really important. Always, always. Especially when you've got a basic... I see this as more of a craft creation culture. Mm-hmm. We like building artifacts. We like, we like our nice pretty things. <laughs> and therefore the first to make something, the first to do anything is very important. In yes. a warrior culture, strength is the important thing. Accomplishing great deeds is the important thing, not being the mm. first to do it. Yeah. But here being the first is very important and being the first to die, he is the first ancestor. And if you do a bit of jigsawing with various other sources <laughs> and staple it together... Now, I'd never trust Caesar as far as I can throw him. But he did claim that the Celts of Gaul believed that they were descended from this pater. Going back to mm-hmm. the old interpret the other gods as relevant gods. And 
he was the father of all of the Celts and they traced their ancestry back to him and said that when they died they would sail to an island out to the west. Yes. Yeah, I think until relatively recent times and when I say relatively recently that's a two century gap <laughs> there guys that you could say going west was, was a way to say you were dying. Yeah. Even, even the Greeks the ancient Greeks they believed yeah. that the underworld was somewhere off west of Ireland. Oh yeah, that, 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 that's where it was. That's that we we know this for a fact. <laughs> and it just so happens that that rock that they left Don on is off our south what coast? Oh, southwest. Southwest coast. <laughs> not not too far from another island. Yeah. Where where's someone else? <laughs> someone else, uh, uh, a sovereignty figure. <laughs> Almost like. Maybe a, a, a mirror of the one that Don disrespected. What? Shocking. You she, she, see, she has an island not yeah. too far away. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, um, her name's the Kyla. Really? Yes. And she's very much associated with death. Oh, yeah. See, Kyla figures uh, are, so, are associated with the harvest. Yeah. An awful lot. And one of the things about the harvest is it's a very nice metaphor. <laughs> It's a very good visual <laughs> metaphor. Like, we have the Grim Reaper and yeah. his scythe, and that's not a coincidence. No. So the, the, the Kyloch was uh, usually associated with bringing in the grain, and we yeah. do so with a, a toothed sickle. And there's two places that are supposed to be the home of the Kyloch. One is the yeah. island off the southwest coast, uh, the name of which escapes me at the moment. I don't know why. Um, it's it's something weird, it's something yellow. Um, yeah, you're right. Inish <laughs> But the other one, the other one is in Northern Ireland on yeah. Sleeve Gillen, and there is a big passage grave up there called the Kylock's House. Sounds lovely. And one day, there were these twelve young men, and they were all looking for work because times were hard at that mm-hmm. at that point. And they go up to the Kylock's house because they hear that she has a huge field that need, all the grain needs to be brought in. Mm-hmm. So they go up and they offer to help. And the Kylock is like, yeah, no, that sounds fine. Come along tomorrow and we'll start the harvest in the morning. So they come along and they go out into the field with their sickles. And the Kylock is there too with her toothed sickle. And she is reaping too. But the thing is, she's reaping very fast, much mm-hmm. faster than these 12 men. And she starts catching up on them. And then she comes up behind them and the closest one, she suddenly slices off his legs and he drops to the ground and and, and he dies in the field. And this happens over and over and over again until it starts getting dark. And she decides, you know what, that's enough for tonight. And there's only one man left. (laughs) And so they go back to the Kylock's house and he's... Terrified, because he knows they're going to have to start again in the morning and he's next. So the Kylock's daughter tells him, look, she's using a magic sickle. What you need to do is knock the teeth out of it. Mm-hmm. So he goes down and he plants these three iron spikes into the field behind where he's going to be starting. Mm-hmm. And so the next morning they start. And they're reaping the corn, swinging the sickles back and forth, and the Kylock, she starts catching up on him. And it looks like she's about to hit him with the sickle, when suddenly, clang! One of the teeth 
is knocked out. Mm. And so the Kylock, she reaches down and finds the iron rod and she yanks it out of the ground and throws it out of the field. <laughs> and then she starts going again, but slower. Mm-hmm. But even though she's been slowed down, she's still catching up on him. And it seems like she's just about to get him when suddenly another clan, another tooth knocked out of the sickle. She reaches down and pulls out another rod and throws it out of the field. And while she was doing that, he's gone up a bit further. Yeah. And so she starts reaping again, but again, slower. And so this happens a third time. And then, yeah, she reaches down, pulls out the rod, throws it out of the field. Her sickle has no teeth left on it. Mm-hmm. She keeps reaping. She keeps going. And while... She doesn't have the speed of her magic toothed sickle anymore. Mm-hmm. She's still inhumanly fast and starts catching up on him again. But then they're done. Oh. The field is finished. <laughs> and they're able to bring all the grain inside. Oh. And he gets not only his full wages, but the wages of the other 11 men. Ah, it's a happy ending. Kind of. <laughs> For him. And the thing, the thing about that is that it shows the Kylock isn't malicious. No. She's not trying to kill him. She's, no. She doesn't want to. She also doesn't care if she does by accident. Like, if I'm just going to swing my side and if you get caught by it, then that's your own fault. And, and that, that's death. That's, that's what death yeah. is. Yeah. It, it's not malicious. It's not necessarily evil. It's very inconvenient and it doesn't no, care no. what you want. No. <laughs> the cold and personal death. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Those crops are going to be nice and healthy with all those lovely blood sacrifices. <laughs> if you're ever and worried about getting your crops growing for a year, just kill just a few humans. Cut down 11 men. Oh, <laughs> fine. By the legs. Now, on the good old Kylak there, mm-hmm. like she's quite, quite a winter deity as well. Especially yes. in Scotland, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and autumn to winter autumn to winter kind of ruined the cold half of the year which probably would have been associated with death yes and yes one of the things I've been reading recently is also talking about how it could be associated with the, the female path of the year or femininity mm-hmm. so an interesting one that go say that from the basically use, using the Dagda and the Maragan as examples of course from Samhain until uh, Imbolg mm-hmm. it's the Maragans time Yes. Or the and then from Imbolg uh, and then from Imbolgon it's Bridget's time. Yeah. And then you get to Bialtina, mm-hmm. which is a various amount of oh, there are few, various people that can vie for control of that, but I'd say Dagda's time. Yeah. Bit of fun, bit of party. And then you get to August, Blue's time. Yeah. So that that there's a male female division, there's a light dark division, there's a hot cold division. Mm-hmm. And you could almost see then a life-death division. Yeah, yeah. And women have a really interesting role when it comes to death in Ireland. Well, women did most of the administering to the dead. Yeah, they did most of the work. Yeah, most of the... Like, not even just the work of, like, preparing the dead for... for burial or, or for wakes yeah. but also the morning the, mm-hmm. there was the, the keeners the, yeah. the singers of the Quiena there was the Marvna as well which were sung by men but that was a much less common thing than yeah. the Quiena like Quiena's wide oh, yeah. Yeah. whereas that like obviously you're going to have local variations now and then mm. but 
I just find that the role of women is really interesting when you've got like Don maybe a death deity maybe just be an ancestor figure but like yes he's he's a man yeah associated with being the lord of death but he's not death itself no Morrigan death in battle back of there reaping up her crop you got the Kylak the mm-hmm. slow impending death nature winter to me the females seem to have much more mystic power and yes. control over the death situation yeah they like even looking at the banshee and her exactly. her knowledge of death coming yeah you can see that the the female figures they're they're more involved in the process yeah whereas the males are what happens after and probably the reason that somebody's died in the first place yeah. they're, like they're 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 either killing people or they're afterlife admin <laughs> <laughs> Afterlife admin, that's fantastic. Can you imagine? Can you imagine though? But that's what would happen. Like if I've always side project, guys. I've (laughs) always loved the idea of like say modern era gods. Yeah. Like well, what are they acting like? Kind of like Neil Gaiman's American Gods mixed with The Office. Because <laughs> just imagine like all the button pushing you have to do now, all the bloody paperwork. I've, I've just realised Afterlife Admin as a sitcom is the good place. Yeah, it already uh, exists. And Miracle Workers. I haven't heard of that. Give it a watch. It's got Daniel Radcliffe. Oh. Who, Daniel Radcliffe is very good for getting laughs for just lines that don't deserve a laugh. He he's made so much money off Harry Potter. He can now just do, do fun passion projects. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. He seems to be having fun in it. And Steve Buscemi is God. Excellent. That's all Excellent. That about. sounds fun. But uh, where was I? Death. We were talking about uh, women doing the mystical stuff. Yeah. Women generally seem to get know what to what needs to be done. They're mm-hmm. in charge of the whole process. You've got the banshee. You've got the keening women. Yeah, and. I just really like the idea that women were kind of in charge of that aspect yeah. of it. Like they'd, they'd be cleaning the corpse, dressing it for burial, dressing it for the wake. They'd be the ones covering up all the mirrors and <laughs> making sure the doors were open or closed, depending on what part of the country you were in. Yeah. <laughs> the only, the, the part that the men would be involved in, though, would be telling the bees. Yeah. <laughs> These are also heavily associated with death in Ireland. <laughs> and you had to let them know that somebody has passed on. You had to let them know about everything. Pretty um, much. If you didn't let them know about every major life event, they would get annoyed and they would leave. And you didn't want vax and you didn't have any honey. No, and you didn't have anyone pollinating your crops. Exactly. You'd die. You didn't want to offend the bees. So you've got to keep the bees happy. Let them know about what's going on in your life. <laughs> any deaths, any weddings. Uh, oh, and stopping the clocks. That was important. Stopping too. the clocks. Yeah. Uh, confused the spirits about the time. <laughs> um, was it, it wasn't their job to do the stories now. No, no, I that believe was the whole family. That was whole, yeah, that was that the was, whole family would tell the stories. Yeah. It was the the women's job mostly to sing the songs, yeah. to do the keening. Uh, for anyone who has no idea what keening is, it was a practice to ritualistically more in a huge over the top display of grief, mourn a victim. And not every family had a woman who was skilled in keening. Amazingly, so there, we couldn't afford to. Uh, 
just keep these keeners on, on our beck and call day in, day out. So there were professional keeners that you could pay to come to someone's funeral and sing the Queena, do the, the wailing, crying, emotional <laughs> songs for you. Yeah. Because if you don't have any friends, so you can pay for them. <laughs> no one's going to miss you when you're gone. You can pay someone too. It's fantastic. <laughs> but where was Anna? On death, actual death itself. Yes. I think we should discuss some of the conceptions of what happened to you after you died. Ooh, okay. What did they believe happened? Well, there was a few things. A lot of them involved going to the other world. Yeah. Sometimes you would be, you'd continue to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd be an entirely new person, a kind of blank slate. I've, I've often said on the tours that the other world in some ways was seen as an, an afterlife. Yes. And picking that apart, an afterlife, mm-hmm. there were probably options. Yeah. Has to be remembered that all of the stories we have from Irish mythology were recorded during the Christian period. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with writers heavily heavily steeped in the current Catholic, not Catholic but Christian culture mm-hmm. trying to write about previous practices that are separated from them for by a couple of centuries and they're at best barely tolerated at worst actively vilified yes so you have to take a lot of it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. and to me I read between the lines that the other world was definitely an option for afterlife yeah and that you'd, you'd make, you might go to the other world, as you said, you might be yourself there and you're just away with the fairies. You might just start a new existence there. I know my father uh, firmly believed in some sort of cycle of, basically you go to the other world after death and then you've got an option for reincarnation. <laughs> like if you're up for it, you're allowed to go for another stint back here on Earth. Don's just sitting there at a desk with yes. a pen, just like, all right, we're it's like you're up for parole. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned enough tokens this time. Uh, would you like to go into the reincarnation lotto? <laughs> One every minute. But, which ties into the report from once again don't trust Caesar but that the Celts believed in reincarnation and Mm -hmm. that's why they were so fearless in battle yes now on the fearless in battle thing even if they didn't believe in reincarnation I think the fact that they had a pleasant enough afterlife in the scene seems a bit I, I don't yeah like it's hard to say whether or not they did believe in reincarnation but yeah. They were certainly not afraid of the afterlife. They thought it was going to be fairly pleasant. Yeah. And there was a lot of ways in which that could potentially happen. Yeah. But it seemed pretty pretty certain that they thought it was going to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> like there's even talk about them not paying debts in life, going, I oh, will sort that out in the next life. Yeah. Guys. I'll see you absolutely. then. <laughs> Just like yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, Charlie. <laughs> no one would have been named Charlie. <laughs> Just one guy, Charlie. It's a very odd name. <laughs> but yeah, like they, they would have had seen it as a, more of a positive experience, yeah. especially compared to the Greeks with their horrible, mm. wasting existences in corporeal shade. Or, or the Egyptian death. I don't know. I've, the Egyptians, I've always... I feel get a hard rap when it comes to death mm-hmm. because like we are exposed to their pyramids and the mummies and the yeah. book of the dead we get this idea that oh they were so obsessed with death 
they really wanted to make like they were all focused around death and dying no they they loved life they oh, yeah. were party animals mm. who, were, uh, who were going oh oh god when we die we might not be able to continually drink and eat and party we've got to make sure that the afterlife's fun well I, I just mean with the um with the whole having your, your soul weighed against a feather. And oh, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't come out right, a crocodile dog eats you. Total oblivion forevermore. <laughs> yeah, pretty, they're pretty harsh. Much yeah. harsher than we are. Though I have read some, some interesting uh, theories that possibly the afterlife in Irish culture or, Cel- mm-hmm. or Celtic culture, <laughs> it could have been something for the elite. Yes. That you said, let's say, kings, druids, poets, they would all get to go to this nice afterlife. Peasants have nothing. And that that might have been one of the reasons mm. why Christianity took hold in Ireland quite quickly. Yeah. Because suddenly you're being offered not just an afterlife, a decent one. Yeah. It's going to be great, party with Jesus. So that would have been a way to take in the, the boosting movement from the bottom up for conversion. Yeah. But works top down and from the Patrick sources we seem to have more of an, an idea that kings would convert and then let their people convert hmm. and there was already an extant Christian population in yeah. Ireland that he was being there to set the minister for mm-hmm. but I think that the conflict between the Christian view of the afterlife and the pre-Christian view of the afterlife definitely would have come up absolutely and I like how you've got that weird double belief kind of mm-hmm. going on where people go oh no they're not dead they're in the fairy realm mm-hmm. because they remember they're meant mm-hmm. to go to the fairy realm when they die but they can't be there and dead because they have to be in heaven now <laughs> oh god how do we do this they were taken by the fairies <laughs> and they're in the fairy realm that's it <laughs> they're not dead yet because you even have some of them going some I think it was one monk claim, was talking about how the, the, the pagan Irish would <laughs> Uh, believed that the souls of the dead stopped at Don's house yeah. before going on to either heaven or hell. So like the, it's it's where they'd wait for the ferry. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> I'm just imagining that like Tech Dunn is actually like Bosaris. <laughs> He's sitting there. Will the any passengers going to hell please make Alright, that brings up quite an idea I mentioned before yes. to you at the box office yeah. that also is associated with death. So let's get into let's it. Give it a the Doolahans. Yes. The Doolahans were psychopumps. Mm-hmm. And they would carry the dead onto the next place. Yeah. And they would usually ride horses. They would sometimes be on a, a coach, yeah. the death coach. Uh, the Doolahan would carry around its own severed head, sometimes juggling it and doing tricks <laughs> with it, which is just amazing. Yeah. Oh, sometimes if they were riding the the death coach, the horses would have no heads as well, which is just a strange image. Yeah. And yeah, they would they would carry people onto the next world. They could only speak once a night, mm-hmm. and that was to mention the name of the person they had come to collect. Yeah. Who would then their soul would then be ripped out of their body and come stand in front of the Dulahan immediately. <laughs> now, the idea I had that I mentioned to you and that kind of connects with that Bosaurus thing. Yeah is the modern conception of the death coach. Yeah. Which is a big bus and bus <laughs> with the skeleton of that red setter on the side and, and you just wait at a bus stop 
a bunch of souls all together because you have to do it in bulk now. There's just too many of us. <laughs> and the first thing you hear, the very first thing you hear after you die, stand clear, <laughs> luggage doors operating. <laughs> and that's it. And some bastard of head going, do you take leap card? <laughs> I can just imagine the door of the hand sitting up in the driver's seat with its big wellies and its head in like a bird cage or something. I was imagining being hung from the uh, mirror and like dice. <laughs> it's still, the, the head was still alive. It still needed its head to see to be yeah. able to navigate. <laughs> Turn it around, make sure it's facing forwards. <laughs> ah. Death is a very fertile, rich area to discuss. We're, we're probably going to have to do part two. Yes, on I death. Was, because I was about to launch in to stuff about what happens after you die and try to come back. Oh. But I think on death and returning from the grave has to be its own podcast. It, it really does. Yeah. It really does. There's so many stories that relate to it. Have you heard the one about the priest and mass? Which one? Um, there was a homeless man. He was taking shelter in a church. Hmm. And around about midnight, a priest walks in. All the candles light up by themselves. And the priest stands up and is like, is there anybody here to help me say Mass? And the homeless man, he's just lying there in between the pews, not saying anything. <laughs> he mentions this the next morning yeah. to one of the priests who was actually there, because that one just disappeared that night. And he describes the priest, and, your man, and the other priest, he says... He's been dead 10 years. Mm -hmm. So the homeless man, he stays there again that night. And when at midnight again, the candles all light and the priest comes up to the altar and he says, is there anyone here to help me say mass? And the homeless man sits up and he says, I'm here to help you. So he helps the priest go through mass mm -hmm. and say everything. And the priest thanks him. He's never seen again. Naturally. Because he had died just before saying his last mass. Yeah. Just before the last uh, mass he was supposed to say. I love that stuff. <laughs> it's like, um, like, that always reminds me of one of my favourite, oddly for anyone who knows me, one of my favourite ghost stories, because it's actually just really nice and sweet. It's little ghost, mm -hmm. lost on a rock in the middle of the ocean. He died, but had no one there to give him the last rites. And without anyone to bless him, he can't move on to the next life. Then, after a while, he suddenly, he just hears something, looks around, and he sees another ghost, back to him, sitting on the rock. Mm -hmm. and they both start talking, the birds go, they both try that sea, no one was there to send it, to give them the last mass, no one was there to bless them. Oh, so they turn around, this one. and they bless each other, yeah. and they move on, and it's as nice as I remember that one. It's a nice little one. That's lovely, but... I think for now, yeah, we leave the we're gonna afterlife stuff for yeah another time. We're going to we're going to do a, a, a death part two at some point. Definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. That was awful. That was really bad. <laughs> so should should we should we find something nice to finish it on? Because. I know you and me have wanted to talk about something to do with the fairies and the fact that... Oh. Oh, yes. Death is basically laced through everything in Irish folklore as well. 
the, the Doolahan that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's a fairy. Yep. Uh, Puka, my favourite creature. Shape-shifting spirits that transform into various animal forms and sometimes attack drunk people on their way home from the pub. It's also a term used for a ghost who has come back after a horrifically violent death. Mm-hmm. And the fairies themselves. There's three main origins for them of what they might be. Could be pre-Christian gods of the earth who have been diminished in form but still possess ancient power. They could be fallen angels who were neutral like Switzerland in the Great War in Heaven and took no side and were therefore doomed to spend eternity on earth. Or the souls of the dead. And I think that really sums it up. Death was everywhere. The other world could very well have been an afterlife. That's why the people who lived there are sometimes confused with the souls of the dead. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are the souls of the dead. Sometimes they're not. Most old fairy stories have an older version that's about the dead. Yep. <laughs> yep. I just love how we've kind of flipped around because in the modern age, there's so many ghost stories, which century two though probably would have been called a fairy story. Yep. They even call it fairy haunting when a place is infested by the was about to curse very badly there. <laughs> Good thing I caught that. But I just find that fascinating that death really just permeates everything. everything. Absolutely everything. And it was a double whammy when we converted to Catholicism. Because <laughs> we came from a culture already pretty damn interested and invested in death to a religion that loves reveling in death. It's why to this day Irish people have got a sixth sense of humour. Mm hmm. And unfortunately, I think with the wake tradition dying out, that we've actually lost a lot of touch with our ability to yeah, both. We used to have a very healthy attitude towards death. And I, I personally, like, well, we'll have to be finishing up soon, guys. Yeah. But I think that it might have been kickstarted with that good old Great Famine. Oh, yes. Because oh, yes. the inundation of death. So many, so many people the famine in my mind birthed a new folklore creature the Fyrgörthle the, the hungry man like you don't really see much references the Fyrgörthle and the Fyrgörthle yeah ah. the hungry man and the hungry grass everything's hungry <laughs> and is about to die <laughs> but with that massive death toll that just damages the psyche and mm-hmm. you, st- you stop celebrating the it's, wakes the term I believe is intergenerational trauma Ooh. It's it's used for a lot of people, a lot of cultures. It's yeah. the, the I think it was coined talking about uh, black people in America. I wonder why. And their ancestors dealing with slavery. Mm-hmm. It's also Jews after the Holocaust. Yeah, that was. And um, most places that have been colonized. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Colonialism is bad. <laughs> Shocking. But um, yeah, I think with that we need to we need to wrap wrapping up. up. So swift death come to you all <laughs> at an inappropriate time, and may it be comfortable. And I don't know if, oh, does somebody want to finish with the immortal words of Oscar Wilde? Oh, I can't remember what quote it is. Lying in his bed, dying, he stared at the wall and said, "Either the wallpaper goes, or me." So on that, we're going there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. I have been Stephen Jack Cullen. I have been something that claims to be Nisha. (laughs) Goodbye.